The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to Raising Good Humans. I'm Dr. Lisa Pressman. And first of all, make sure if you are ready to get a chapter on resilience from the five principles of parenting, my first book, and you're ready to have a live Zoom to talk about it, go pre-order your book now. And then you can go to the link in my bio on Instagram at Raising Good Humans Podcast, or just go to DrAliza.com and just keep your order number so you can join me for my live Zoom, get the pre-order content. And also, you guys know me, so buying my book in advance is so helpful. I'm so grateful. I cannot tell you. It's so helpful to get this out into the world. Now, for today's episode... I have Dr. Julia Deganji. She's a neuropsychologist and she is focused on the neuroscience of emotion, cognition, and social health. And what I was excited about is her conversation about how we can integrate our thoughts and our feelings so that we can be our healthiest selves, which of course is going to help our kids have their healthiest, most integrated brains. And we're talking about concrete ways to make it so that when we have thoughts and when we have feelings, we're doing the things, we're taking the actions that make sense for that. So we're not living a life where we're having thoughts and feelings that are not congruous and when our actions are not representing our feelings, whether it's because we're snapping and on edge all the time, or because we just don't necessarily feel aligned in our everyday actions with what we're feeling inside. If you enjoy this episode, don't forget to write a little review, give a five-star rating. You know the drill. All of it is so helpful. I know that I say this every time. I really want to give you content that helps and supports you. I appreciate your trust and I so, so, so thank you. Do you want to start by just kind of giving us a model for change? Sure. I know that's so general, but I think you're such a big question. It's a big model for change. No, I think I think helping us understand how our brains work and how changes can occur. And then we can use examples in, you know, parenting and real life, but understanding how our attention works and how we can change in whatever capacity we're talking about, I think would be super helpful framework. I can absolutely do that. So I think the best way is when people talk about change, you have to say, well, what are people trying to change for? And people love to give a million different answers to this question. So they love to say they're changing for a new job. They're changing to be a better parent. They're changing. I mean, you can just go on. The list is infinite but really they're changing for one singular reason. And that reason is to feel better. And I think this is such a clarifying statement. Basically, all of the meaning in your life is emotionally constructed. So it's how you feel about your life that determines the meaning of your life. Are you a good parent? I don't know. It depends on how you feel about it. Are you too strict with your kids? Depends on how you feel about it. Should you feel more guilty or less guilty? Depends on how you feel about it. What I want people to understand is it's ultimately this emotional energy that's constructing all meaning in their life. 
Now, when I say emotional energy, I don't mean that metaphorically or metaphysically. I mean, emotions are quite literally neuroelectrical impulses that are your brain sends out and communicates with your body. Okay, so how do we make change? Well, if the purpose of making change is to feel better, it's really actually quite simple. I think we make it so much more complicated than it needs to be. So your brain has three engines that are powering you through your life. You have an engine of thinking, you have an engine of behaving, and you have an engine of feeling. Now, imagine that you were going to make some kind of powerful machine, like an aircraft or a car, and you said, I have a fantastic engineering idea. I'm going to have some of the engines traveling in one direction, and then I'm going to make it so another engine travels in the exact opposite direction. You'd be like, that is the dumbest idea. You definitely should not be some kind of an engineer, Julia. A lot of us are dividing the engines of our power against each other. Let me give you an example. We feel in one direction and then we behave in the exact opposite direction. So for example, we feel like we need to hold better boundaries with our kids. But then the kid starts to say, no, mom, I want more screen time. I want more screen time. And what do we do? We capitulate. We feel exhausted. We feel so exhausted. Our bodies are screaming for rest. What do we do? We overwork. We overgive. We overaccommodate. We overfunction. We want to speak up in our lives. We want to express ourselves differently. What do we actually do? We keep our mouths shut. Do you see how very concretely in each of those moments I have divided my energy against myself? There's a part of my neurology that is literally feeling in one direction, and then I'm using my energy to behave and think in the exact opposite direction. Now, people like to say that emotions are so confusing. Emotions are not confusing. They're the simplest, most primitive form of human communication. When we feel in one direction, and then divide our energy in another direction, which I call the pain of self-division, when we engage in the self-division, which is absolutely a form of self-injury, the results are very mathematical. If you do this for enough time in your life, you will feel depleted, you will feel resentful, you will feel burnt out, you will feel anxious, and at the extreme, you will feel numb. So to go back to your your central question, I, I think the clearest definition I can give you for how do you feel better in your life, which is the purpose of any change, is the healthiest, happiest human being is the human being who has an integrated brain. What is an integrated brain? An integrated brain is a brain that does what it feels and feels what it does. And when you're, when you're acting in alignment, when you're using the power of your thinking, your feeling, and your behaving to move you through time and space in one direction, you feel great and you are unstoppable. And now a word for my sponsors. Not indulging this time of the year is just unnecessary. Let's just be in the moment and enjoying ourselves. I love this time of year. And also when you're not super indulging and you don't want to have a massive meal and home cooked fun, there's an easy way, which is daily harvest. You're getting the best of both worlds because it is fresh. Daily Harvest helps me when I'm on the go, in a rush, or don't have time for anything, which is so often. They have like additional dinners now. So it used to be my lunchtime fave, but now they have pesto, pasta, bolognese, primavera. There's even a gluten-free version and a dairy-free version. And everything is ready in under 10 minutes. You know I like 
easy, easy, easy and fresh. And by the way, they use recyclable and compostable packaging whenever possible. So Daily Harvest is doing their part to take care of our earth. And that just helps me feel good because I know that sometimes when you're getting pre-packaged things, you can feel a little bit guilty. This is the time of year to enjoy and do good. So you can get the best of both worlds with Daily Harvest by going to dailyharvest.com slash humans to get up to $65 off your first box. That's dailyharvest.com slash humans for up to $65 off your first box dailyharvest.com slash humans. Okay. It's that time of year where we start to think about our goals and how we can take better care of ourselves. Is it that time of year? I think it is. (laughs) Anyway, Nordic Naturals is the number one selling fish oil brand in the US. And you know that you need to take fish oil supplements, whether you're having a baby, had a baby, just a person getting to a certain age, omega-3s are so good for you. I took Nordic Naturals when I was having my babies. They were my prenatal vitamins and I still take them. And I give Nordic Naturals to my children who are teenagers now. So remember Nordic Naturals supplements for moms supports female health throughout life, including at every stage of pregnancy and after. And Nordic Naturals fish oils provide a reliable source of building block omega-3s for babies prenatal and postnatal brains and nervous system development. And again, I still take them and I still give them to my teenagers. I trust this brand. I have been using this brand for 20 years. Nordic natural supplements for women are non-GMO verified third-party tested for quality and contain no artificial colors or flavors. Now, I do have to say these statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration and this product is not intended to diagnose, treat, and cure, or prevent any disease. But shop today at nordic.com. Use the promo code RGH for 20% off your first order. We have two jobs that I want to go over today. (laughs) How are we helping integrate our brains and how, apart from modeling through living, you know, this way, can we best support our kids to have that integration, obviously given the brain structure and the changes in the development. But I think because mental health is so dependent on integrating our brain, how do we grow that skill set in our kids? But I would love to start with us and then move our way to the kids. Well, it's kind of a trick question because when I, you know, in my career, I I only work with parents. I don't work. So I am a neuropsychologist by training, which means I'm a clinical psychologist with specialized expertise in the brain. I do not work one-on-one with children. And the reason is, even if you have an amazing 50-minute session, there are 168 hours in a week. The most powerful form of leadership unequivocally is parental leadership. And that's just simply because of the neurobiology of the relationship. Now, parents all the time I mean, it's almost wired into us. We want in ourselves, want the best for our kids. But can you create any sensation in somebody else's nervous system? Can you make your child feel loved? Can you make your child feel accepted? Can you make your... No. Nope. So you can't actually, until we can biohack the brain, which, you know, I work in a neuroscience. We're many, many years away from that. 
the only way we can't we can't control sensations in other people's nervous systems, but we absolutely can influence them. And I don't mean this in kind of a throwaway way, like, oh yeah, you can definitely influence people. I mean, neuroscience shows us unequivocally that emotion is a thing of contagion. We catch each other's emotions the way we catch a cold. Now, I don't even need to go into the neuroscientific literature because you have plenty of experiences in your own life that tell you this is true. Many times you've been in a great mood, you walk downstairs, your kids are being a little bit scratchy, and your mood sinks like a lead balloon. Or you swear you're not going to get dysregulated and then your kid is frustrated and suddenly you, you catch the frustration. The converse is totally true. The other day, I have two little kids. They were, they were cracking up. I couldn't even understand what they were saying. They were laughing so hard. And I was at first asking them, like, what are you guys laughing about? And they could barely speak. It was so funny, whatever it was. I still don't know. And then I actually started cracking up. Right. You don't even know why. You don't even know why. Your body is catching it. Exactly. So that's a perfect example of how we catch each other's emotions like we catch a cold. So it kind of raises this question is how do we lead our children? I think it kind of begs the question, though, what is leadership? Here's the best definition I can give you for leadership based on how the brain works. Leadership is whoever has the strongest emotional energy in the room. (laughs) I don't mean the most aggressive or the loudest. I mean the purest emotional signal. Now, I do a lot of work in all human relationships, so couples, and I do a lot of work in parenting. I very often will work with parents who are brilliant. They're accomplished. They're seasoned professionals, and they will be brought to their knees by the behavior of their four-year-old or their six-year-old. So what does that tell you? First of all, there's no shame in this. We've all been here before. What it tells you, though, is the energy, the emotional energy of that child is setting the energetic tone for that family system. So when we want to lead our kids in different ways, we have to think first and foremost about our own emotional signal. So a lot of times we will say, dear sweet child, all I want to give to you is patience. Dear sweet child, I want to attune to you. Dear sweet child, I want to play with you. How in the world can I give these energies to my child in a meaningful, sustained way when I do not possess them inside of my own body? What sometimes frustrates me or tickles me, depending on my mood, is we don't get confused about this in other domains of currency. In other words, if you came to me and asked me for $5, and let's say I really wanted to give you $5, but I just didn't have $5 to give you, I would say, oh my God, Elisa, I'm so sorry. I just don't have five bucks. And the conversation would be over. But a lot of us are out there trying to raise our children, trying to give them things. We chronically refuse ourselves. How in the world can I give you patience, dear sweet child, when I am absolutely battered by the frenetic pace of my own life? How can I give you gentle attunement when I repeatedly reject my own needs? How can I give you playfulness When I overwork, I refuse to experience joy in my own life. You see how you can't really get the math on these things to work? I've done this work, depending on how you want to look at it, for 20-some years or 40-some years. And I have been watching the mental health conversation. I come from a lineage of psychologists. My father's a psychologist. So I've really been watching this conversation in, in profound ways for a long time. We're having a moment. And I am incredibly optimistic. So there's all these conversations about well-being and self-care. Self-care is about will you do what it takes to basically 
reunify your feeling with your behaving. The interesting thing to me is that we talk a lot about the conversation now moving in a direction, but I feel like the science has been in this direction much longer than the conversation has been in this direction. So sometimes when there's these transformational, you know, whatever, there's like something in the zeitgeist that's meeting the science, it's exciting, but it's also like, finally, you know, like co-regulation has been a thing, (laughs) (laughs) but it's like shocking and revelatory in the world today. And what, what I think is wonderful is that it's getting out there and that the conversation is happening. One thing that is nice to hear about are we can control ourselves. We can't control other people. And so this kind of conversation is more hopeful in the sense that you definitely can start right now because you don't need to get anything, anybody else on board. So first of all, you, you got me really excited with your point of like, is this stuff really new? And I think what's happening is, is the science advancing at a breakneck speed? Absolutely. And then will that inform future interventions? Absolutely. But you're raising a really, really powerful point. And it's actually the very reason I wrote Energy Rising. So I am from time to time asked to do public facing things. Like I've been asked to be, you know, experts on reality shows and stuff like this. I almost unequivocally always say no. I like to say I'm a Midwest academic who likes to go to two good parties a year and spend the rest of the time thinking alone in my office and taking care of my patients and clients. (laughs) The reason I agreed to write Energy Rising is because of I had the opportunity to communicate this premise. Every single thing that we want in our lives, in our homes, is on the other side of the feelings we think we can't feel. So I don't care about brilliant apps or new parenting hacks because the, the actual line between where we are and where we want to go is entirely dependent on the feelings we are willing to feel or not feel in our nervous system. So you bring up the subject of co-regulation. Well, I can only co-regulate to the degree I can hold the energies, again, this is neurobiological, the energies of frustration, impatience, sadness, rage, despondency in my own body. Now, you can understand that we all obviously have very different childhoods and upbringings. We're at different points in the sort of healing process in our own life. You know, I just I just took my kids yesterday to one of these like jumpy house. So we spent all day at the jumpy house. We were getting pizza. They had been begging to go. We were having a great time. And we left and it was like complaint after complaint after complaint. So we didn't stay long enough. We should get ice cream. We should. Now, the energy in my nervous system was lifting off like a rocket to Mars, okay? So my ability to respond in an emotionally intelligent way, and all emotional intelligence means is my ability to think intelligently about my emotions, depends on how willing I'm able to move that energy in my nervous system. And sometimes the most intelligent, we, we, again, we overcomplicate it. Sometimes the most powerful thing we can do is do not open my mouth. Yes. I say, do not bite down. I have two tips. I say, do not bite down and literally soften your face. We don't, we didn't get the ice cream. Why do we have to go? I I really want this, the other stuffed animal. And so can I just think for a second about just softening my face, not processing what they're saying, which doesn't mean ignore them, 
but it means in that moment, let me just think about the softening of my jaw and the inflation of my lungs. And if I don't bite down in that moment, that moment will pass at lightning speed. It's when I engage in the negative energy, because again, emotion is a thing of contagion, and everybody's now in it. Everyone's just amping it up and amping it up and amping it up. It becomes this massive issue. It becomes like the trauma of the day. But if I'm able to say, let this weather front pass through and let me then revisit this at bedtime, the returns on every level for my own well-being, for their well-being, and then for the relationship, because there's really three relationships in the home. There's sort of my relationship with myself, my kids' relationship with me, and then the space between, right? So every relationship kind of has these three components. And I think if we, to go back to your point, it does not matter how brilliant the interventions are. And there's a ton of insanely intelligent information out there. It matters our willingness, again, to integrate the thinking system with the feeling system. I think the most powerful thing that we can do on this planet is be willing to feel feelings I have historically been unwilling to feel. And if you look at the front line, the most science-based, the most productive treatments for family systems, what they're really asking people to do at their core is come into a new relationship specifically with feelings they've been avoiding feeling. And now a word for my sponsors. This episode is brought to you in part by BetterHelp. Obviously, mental health is a big part of my gig. I value it so much for all of you and for our children. So any opportunity to get you support is a great opportunity and BetterHelp makes it easier. Therapy is incredible. I notice that caregivers often give up therapy because they don't have time, they don't have bandwidth, or they can't find a provider for their schedule. And so what I love is that betterhelp.com makes it so much easier. You can do everything entirely online. It's designed to be convenient. It's designed to be flexible. It's designed to be suited to your schedule. You just have to fill out a brief questionnaire and you get matched with a licensed therapist. If there isn't the right fit, you can switch therapists. There's no additional charge. I really want everyone to make sure to take care of themselves. Having a therapist can be a wonderful way to do so. And BetterHelp makes it easy to find one and schedule. So find your bright spot this season with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash humans today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash humans. Self-care is caregiving. It really is. Okay. If you are looking for a meaningful gift this holiday season that your loved ones will actually use, particularly grandparents or anybody who's far away, I have a perfect gift for you. It's Skylight Frames. You know I love Skylight Frames. And if holiday shopping stresses you out and you need something that you know is going to be loved, get Skylight Digital Picture Frames because basically you give an awesome frame to a loved one. You put whatever pictures are already on your phone on there and you can change them so that They are in a rotation and surprises can happen any day. So give give grandma a thrill. Let her get the inside view of the 10 different pictures you took of her adorable grandchild. 
Who else is going to be so excited about these pictures? Skylight is a touchscreen photo frame you can send photos to straight from your phone, and they appear in seconds. Plus, you can preload the photos before the box is open, so when it's unwrapped, your most treasured pictures will already appear. And as a special limited-time offer for our listeners, you get $15 off your purchase of a Skylight Frame when you go to skylightframe.com humans. To get $15 off your purchase of a Skylight Frame, just go to skylightframe.com humans. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-F-R-A-M-E dot com slash humans. Can we use one concrete example of feelings that you see people avoiding that is a little bit less expected? Because I think it just helps everybody, first of all, normalize that this is something we all do. And second, it helps just let us step back and reflect you know, what are, what are some feelings I'm not realizing that I'm unwilling to step into? So I think a big one that parents struggle with is let's just say, and I'm happy to take any emotion you want. We can talk about guilt. We can talk about, let's just start with impatience. So let's say my kid wants to play with me, or let's say my kid's struggling to get in the car. And I start saying, come on, come on, come on, come on. Get, get. But hey, how many times do I have to tell you? Get, get, you know, and so then that whole kind of energy starts to show up. It's kind of this almost a little bit, I don't mean it aggressively, but there's almost this aggressiveness to the energy that I think really injures, especially our young children. Okay. Well, if I could stop myself long enough and have an an emotionally intelligent conversation, what is the actual root? What is the actual root of my urgency? The ultimate root of my urgency is my feeling of humiliation. Okay. So I want you to think of any pain that you have in your life, including with your kids, as a tree. Now, all trees have three components. They have leaves, they have trunks, and they have a root system. Most of us spend our lives lost in the morass of the leaves. The leaves represent every single individual situation that causes you any form of emotional pain. And by emotional pain, I don't mean trauma. I mean, any bad feeling. So your kid's doing X and it's frustrating you. Your kid's doing Y and it's making you impatient. Your kid's doing Z and it's making you sad. I mean, we could go on and on and on, right? Your kid's doing A and it's making you anxious. So it's just this situation after this situation after this situation. The problem with this is just think about how, I mean, you don't have to be an arborist to recognize if you want to heal a sick tree, it's total lunacy to go leaf by leaf by leaf, okay? So I have to say, There's got to be something more powerful here. And part of the evidence, if we really think powerfully about our relationships with our kids, we're getting into the same situation over and over and over. It's like that whole definition of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting a different result. So how is it that I'm having the same conversation that I had two years ago, right? And it's just these things just kind of keep replaying. So you kind of say to people, all right, well, what is behind this sense of like being frustrated or impatient that you can't get to the grocery store. Well, let me sink beneath the leaves and go into the trunk. When we get into the trunk, we start to feel like, okay, I I thought I had to go to the grocery store. When I tap into the trunk, the trunk is about the angry class of emotions. So these are things like frustration, rage, fear, mad. I don't care what word we use. It's just this sense of like being angry. 
Well, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of impatient with my kid because I'm frustrated because I really wanted to go to the grocery store and they won't cooperate. Okay. Well, I, my fundamental expertise is trauma. You know, a very common response to trauma is anger, anger, rage, irritability. I would say of all of the human emotions, this, this angry class of emotions is the most paradoxical, meaning they give us the sensation that we're cooking with a lot of gas, but they're wildly impotent emotions. Most of the things that parents will come to talk to me about is this angry class of emotion. I'm feeling frustrated. I'm irritated. I'm mad. I'm right. So we have this, uh, this like kind of zinging in our nervous system. Okay. But the problem with chronic anger is it doesn't drive change because anger is always a secondary emotion. In order to be angry about anything, you have to first be afraid, right? So if somebody breaks into my house in the middle of the night, I'm enraged. Why am I enraged? Because I'm afraid that they're going to do something terrible. Got it. Okay. So people are like, got it, got it, got it. Okay. So what am I afraid of? Well, I'm afraid that if I don't get to the grocery store, I'm not going to have dinner on the table. Or I'm afraid that my husband's going to be frustrated. Or I'm, I'm having people over later and I'm afraid that the party's not going to be as good as I want it to be. But do you see how in each of these examples, I've insidiously crept back up into the leaves? Now I'm starting to say this situation and this situation and this situation. But the meaning of your life does not arise from situations. It arises from emotional energy. So what then is the mother fear? And now we are at the root system. The mother fear of human beings is this energy of humiliation. I don't care if you use the word humiliation or unworthiness or shame neurologically, embarrassment, awkwardness, neurologically, they're all the same phenomenon. So what's really happening is we've gone from the leaves. I need you to get in the car right now. I'm feeling very impatient. Why am I impatient? Because you're frustrating my goal to go to the grocery store. Why does that matter? Because I'm afraid that I'm not going to be ready for the party. Why does that matter? Because if I'm not ready for the party, People will find me out. They will see that I'm not good enough. They will see that I'm not organized. They will see that I'm not an, a, a responsive mother. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. But the energy, the energetics of this is that I am no good. Now, one of the things we've known in psychology for many years is a human being cannot be well and feel unworthy. The way, though, this really came screaming through for me was actually in my work with combat veterans. So I've, I've treated a lot of really extreme trauma and I've worked, I've done a lot of work with combat veterans specifically. So I'm a civilian. When I first started treating PTSD, I would say, I think I have a good idea. I, I mean, I wouldn't say it like this, but in my mind, I thought I have a pretty good reason, guess, let's say, for why you have PTSD. You were terrified of dying. Like that's a pretty good guess for us mere mortals. And what I was hearing across guys across conflicts, across wars, was sure, I didn't want to die, but that was not the worst thing. The worst thing was being the guy on the mission that other people couldn't rely on, was being the guy that didn't have his shit together, was being the guy that did something so horrible, was being the guy who could not save his friend. Yeah. In other words, what they were saying quite literally was that a fate worse than death was the feeling of being unworthy or being humiliated. So if you want to change your life in, a, in just the most powerful way, I mean, in a, in a very, very upstream way where everything just really starts to flow so much more effortlessly, you have to start thinking about how these 
death by a million paper cuts in our relationship with our kids, it's not really happening in the situation before us. It's happening in the emotional energy. What energy specifically? The energy of humiliation. If you work there, you change everything. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. And I just want to make sure that you have pre-ordered the five principles of parenting, your essential guide to raising good humans. It means the world to me. I promise you, you're going to love this book. And also when you pre-order, it really helps me out. It's like just a little Thanksgiving treat for me. And also it's going to be a great New Year's treat for you. Order the five principles of parenting wherever you like to order books. You can go to your local bookshop or you can run right now to amazon.com or barnesandnoble.com or bookshop.com and pre-order it. And then DM me on Instagram at Raising Good Humans Podcast and let me know that you've pre-ordered it. And I'll send you an early chapter on resilience. So now we know where we are. We know what our life-changing goals can be, and it's doable, but how are we doing it? Now, what's very interesting, and I think very helpful and very empowering, is the emotional system runs very, very similarly to the physical system. So if I want to get physically stronger, I'm never confused about this. No one's ever confused, right? No one's like, Hey, so I want to get I want to get more physically strong. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to eat lots of hot Cheetos and binge watch Love is Blind eight episodes in a row, right? Like sometimes we might be like, I'm not going to the gym, but I'm not confused by why I'm not getting stronger. Right. Also, when I go to the gym and let's say I can only lift five pounds and today I'm going to try to lift 10. When I actually really start to lift that resistance, when I start to lift that weight, my physiology is quite literally going to shake. So my muscles going to shake, my heart rate's going to race, my hands might tremble. In that moment, no one ever runs out of the gym screaming, call 911, right? In fact, a lot of us, we don't even think that trembling necessarily feels good, but there's something satisfying about it because it's the clearest evidence that we're, we're getting stronger. This analog works perfectly on the emotional side. When I say I'm going to start doing something emotionally different in order, why would I do this? To become more emotionally powerful, okay? Why would I want to become more emotionally powerful? Well, I think that's self-explanatory, but the more emotionally powerful I become, the more I'm able to meet my life with grace and intelligence and peace. So when I start to behave in different ways, especially ways that trigger me, they make me anxious, they make me stressed, they make me feel bad, I am going to, again, quite literally shake. Let's go back to the example of me being late to the grocery store. If I say, all right, this is not working, because every time I kind of, I've been here before, I kind of badger my kid, I could tell it doesn't really work with him, I don't feel good, I also don't really think this is like the parent I want to be. I still kind of have to get to the grocery store, but hey, hold on. Let me think for a second. I'm just going to say, I've done this. I've done the pain tree example. And I understand that this is really about my sense of worthiness. So I'm, I'm going to say, all right, if we don't get to the grocery store on time, the world is going to keep turning. Intellectually, I know this in a heartbeat. But when I really start to live this moment, the neurology is going to respond and it's going to shake you're going to start to feel the pressure in your chest. 
You're going to start to feel tension in your jaw. You're going to start to feel a little squinty in your eye. You're going to start to like have this nervous energy. Do you know what I mean? Like you're kind of like pitter-pattering around the house. If you allow yourself to shake in that moment and not capitulate and return to the old behavioral pattern, I promise you, and I can give you a really extreme example of this if we have time, I promise you that your system will calibrate. It will habituate. Your brain works a lot like your muscles. If you train your nervous system to shake in a way that you think is actually productive, expansive, leading you to more leadership in your parenting, and you commit to it, not only will it happen, it will happen with shocking speed. What happens to most of us is we do it for maybe a day or we do it even, you know, we can tolerate it for 15 minutes. And then the heat inside of our own nervous system gets so big that then we kind of blow our top and we say in one form of another, all right, the deal's off, get in the car. We all know if we took psychology 101, the most powerful form of reinforcement is intermittent reinforcement. So if today I can like say, all right, I'm willing to work with my and sort of hold my emotional shake for five minutes, but then tomorrow all bets are off. And then the next day I'll try for seven minutes, but then the next day it's like just trust, trust the science that's saying we really understand how to change this relationship with things like nervousness and anxiety and these kind of bad feelings and just hold your shake for a very short period of time. Now, what people can also do is they can kind of make a hierarchy out of these things. So imagine you said, all right, I'm kind of getting clarity in my life of five things that I want to change. I want to be like more laid back around dinner time. I want to be more laid back in terms of like how I do homework. I want to be more laid back and like, I don't know, you can just go on and on screen time. You would rank these things. So, and you would rank them in order of their difficulty. So maybe, you know, a three is pretty easy. A seven is like moderately hard and a 10 is you would, you would collapse. Now, just like you would never, if you haven't been training your body, go out for an Ironman tomorrow. When you're thinking about building emotional power in your parenting relationship, you don't want to start at a 10. You want to say, let me focus on one thing and only one thing. And let me like focus at about around a level six, seven, or eight. That's kind of the optimal level when we're thinking about how to change our nervous system. I think that that's the crazy part of all of this is that in order to do the change, as you said, it's so much more simple, but it feels just so burdensome. (laughs) But see, so I love that you said this because you're totally right. But once again, where are we back? Because I really want to orient listeners here. We're back at feelings. I think my nervous system can't feel. So tell me how this fits into you naming energy rising. Yes, I would be delighted to answer that question. I thought more about naming this book than I thought about naming my own children. So the reason I landed on Energy Rising is is your physiology, your brain and your body is exquisitely designed. And your body knows what to do with waste. You take in food, you pass it. You take in oxygen, you release carbon dioxide. Every 27 days, your skin cells go. A foreign invader gets into your immune system. Your immune system knows how to eject it. The body and the brain generally know what to do with waste. There is something singular about our experience with emotional trash. So a bad feeling will happen. It will start to quite literally rise in the body. You'll start to feel that that flush because, you know, these things are first communicated to us 
through sensation, right? So we'll start to feel a tightening in the chest or we'll start to sort of bop our hands on the table or our thoughts will start to race and we'll start to feel a feeling that doesn't feel good. And instead of just letting it move through the system, not becoming super entangled with it, we shove it down. It rises again, shove it down, tries to rise again, shove it down, shove it down, avoid it, numb it, run from it, scroll through it. If you spend five years of your life, 10 years of your life, 50 years of your life shoving emotional trash down in your system, you become emotionally congested, emotionally constipated. Your emotional plumbing is so filled with junk that when something happens, that's wildly ordinary. If you think about the things, and this is a very important point, it is actually not big T trauma that that really brings us to our knees. Big T trauma is atrocious. That's what trauma is by definition. But the things that really destroy people are these sort of millions of insults after the fact, these kind of death by a million paper cuts. So we destroy our families because over homework, over the kid wants to wear different pants than we want them to wear. The kid doesn't want to eat the broccoli. They want to hang out with different... We, we come up with these horrible stories. Here's kind of a... Here's kind of, it's sort of a funny story in a way. I was working with this mother and child dynamic and the mother is saying, she doesn't respect me. She doesn't love me. And the girl says, I don't know why she keeps saying that. I, I love her to death. I respect the heck out of her. I just don't like geometry. So all of this was like break down because the mother was coming up with all these stories about personalizing the geometry, not like the pushback on the homework. Correct. Now let's go to the mother's thing because we've all been here before. When we really start to get into the mother's story, it becomes, let's go back to the pain tree. She doesn't want to do her geometry worksheet. That means she's going to flunk out of math class. That means she's not going to get into college. That means she's never going to get a job. That means no one's ever going to want to hire her. That means she's never going to have any friends. She's not going to have, pretty soon, this girl is living under a bridge inside of a refrigerator box. Whoa, whoa, can we, like, we just can inject so much more generosity. We as parents don't need to torment ourselves like this. Mm -hmm. But until we understand the impetus for the emotional energy, we're just going to keep shoving it down and keep shoving it down. Then we become emotionally constipated. And then we start becoming very reactive in situations that we are very, very well equipped to handle. Your brain is the most brilliant machine on the planet. It sort of blows my mind that we spend more time figuring out how to operate chat GPT in our own cell phones than we think about the intelligent management of our own nervous systems. Meanwhile, we are very, very interested in other people's nervous systems. If I had to reduce all of my work to one question, it would be this. People come to me all the time and say, how do I get these people in my life who are very, very important to me, my kids and my partner, to behave differently so that I don't have to feel feelings I don't like to feel inside of my own body? I do. I hear that all the time. And even when you hear the phrasing of the question, it's like, can we all say that since we're not in it, we can hear how that's not the question. That's not the question. It can't be the question. And I, I mean, I struggle with this. You know, it's one thing to know the work because I think I, I have an extraordinary understanding intellectually of the work. And it's another thing to live the work. Like right. my, I have a little kid who he, everything is backwards. I, and I mean that like, like he will put his shoes on the wrong feet. He wears his clothes inside out. And I have feelings about this. Mm-hmm. But I really had to say, 
what what is the problem here? He wants to wear his jersey backwards. Is his coach okay with it? Is the team okay with it? Because what I was thinking, if I'm I'm going to be really transparent here, I went into my own pain tree work and I was like, I'm afraid of my child being rejected. And so I'm now getting into these fights with him. And I was like, isn't that so interesting that I'm creating the very energy I'm saying I'm protecting him from? Because he's sort of saying to me, he's little, so he doesn't say it quite like this, but like, why can't you understand that like, I'm not really trying to hurt anybody. I just want to wear my pants backwards. And when you keep telling me I'm like doing it wrong, I've communicated to you, I'm okay with this. And you keep insisting it's not okay. Your constant challenging of my reality is making me feel unheard, unseen, unattached to you. So I was kind of like, I just need to be like, work on my own regulation while this little guy wants to wear his shoes on the wrong feet. I see this happen all the time too. It's, you know, one of the things I think we miss as parents is we can only trust our children to the degree that we trust ourselves. So a lot of times what we're saying, and and until we have conversations like these, and this is why I'm so grateful to have this conversation with you, we think it's about the situation, but it's really about the energy. You know, I take my kids to the park and I was at the park the other day and some mom, you know, like little Johnny, like little Johnny's like up on the, on the slide and mom's like, Johnny, Johnny, get, get down, Johnny, Johnny, I'm going to need you. Hey, can you, Johnny, you're going to, you're going to fall. And like, I was watching this, you know, just kind of like sitting back. And sometimes it's, it's nice to be able to sort of watch other people and learn about ourselves and learn how to, how we kind of make some mistakes. Little Johnny was not afraid that little Johnny was going to fall. Little Johnny looked very, very sure-footed. So when mom, the most powerful actor in his life, and dad, of course, is in that class too, or whoever the caretakers are, is saying, don't trust the intelligence inside of your own body. We start to get these messages at very early ages that the feelings I'm feeling about my own reality cannot be trusted. And then we outsource our locus of control. We outsource our power. And then this creates a lot. You want to understand why there's a lot of adults who are disconnected, depressed. Of course, I'm not saying like, mom getting worried one day at the playground that little Johnny needs to get down. But you can see it was actually mom's own anxiety about something bad happening to her child that was driving her behavior that was then communicating to little Johnny, don't trust the feelings inside your own body. Trust what I'm telling you. And we want so much for our kids to have a sense of worthiness. Can our kids have a sense of worthiness if we do not? No, ma'am. No, ma'am. No, ma'am. I mean, look, I have no illusions. I know my children will end up on a psychologist's couch, and I'm thrilled about that. You know, there's an evolution that's going on, but there is no more powerful actor in your child's life than you. And I think so often we try to invest in our kids from a place of emptiness. The fastest, most efficient, most neurologically aligned way to build a healthy, worthy, self-loving child is to develop a healthy, worthy, self-loving relationship with yourself. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.